We're looking at a text that I entitled, uh, a theme came out of, uh, of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23 through 11, 1. And I would like to read that and ask the Lord to teach us. So if you would, um, pick up 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23, and we'll go through the first verse of chapter 11. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. That's i.e. the ice cream and cake this afternoon. If anyone, if one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, Eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of one who informed you and for conscience sake. I mean, not your own conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another man's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of the Lord. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things. Do not, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, so that I may be saved. Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Father, I ask that you would teach us this day that my heart and these precious saints' hearts would be open to what you say. Father, we would be encouraged, but we would bow. That, Father, your work in us of that holiness, of that righteousness that you've given to your people would be manifest. And that, Father, we would take these truths and we cherish them. We take these truths and bow to them. We take these truths and rejoice in the King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, we know that it is all coming to a close, a conclusion. And we know that that conclusion will be the exaltation and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ to all of creation. Those who are blinded this day, those who are entangled this day, and to those who eagerly await that day. We long for you. We seek you to your praise and glory in Christ's name. Amen. I've taken this section and titled it, Do All for the Glory of the Lord, uh, coming out of verse 31. Uh, I love this phrase because if you think about it, Paul uses the beginning of that verse right there and he says, you eat or drink. Let's be realistic. Eating and drinking this day is as about as mundane as it gets. I mean, every once in a while, uh, when we were out from our daughter's graduation, there's a really nice uh, um, restaurant that I have frequented in my travels to uh, to visit with Dr. MacArthur during the Shepherds Conference and stuff like that. Uh, that I always go to because you can get like seafood and you're right on the ocean. And I'm I don't know, just something about it. There's something weird about sitting on the Pacific coast. Eating lobster from Maine, though, I'm not going to get into that detail, but it just, you said, wait a minute, I don't get it. And I know if, if you think lobster's offered to idols, for my conscience' sake, don't tell me. Okay? So, uh, but anyway, I give thanks and we eat. But there, the, most of the time, when we're eating, it's just, you're supposed to eat breakfast, you're supposed to eat lunch or snack or whatever you do. Most of the time, how many of us are really, can I say, I am eating for the glory of the Lord? But he takes the two mundane mundane things of life, eating and drinking, and he says, if you're going to do that, do it so that God is glorified. And then he says, just in case you're missing it, I'll give you this one. Do all to the glory of the Lord. Which even includes moving furniture up three flights of steps. Move it to the glory of the Lord. How many of us do that? I I have a truck... Uh, that uh, sometimes it belongs to my wife. This week it belonged to to my wife. Uh, And and I can't really complain about my truck. My truck has a quarter million miles on it. Okay? And sometimes it gives up groanings that only the Spirit can discern. Um, This week, I knew that I was going to have to pull my trailer and everything to help them move. And uh, 
so I did, changed the oil and some stuff like that and had my mechanic friend look at it because the steering felt kind of odd on it. And I took my truck in, and he came back and he said, Well, the gearbox that turns the wheels is shot. And I said, Well, that ain't so bad. He said, uh, I said, You know, it's got a quarter million miles on it, too. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I got to give that thing praise to the king. And then he says, Well, the reason that it's shot. <laughs> It's tie rod and, well, both control arms and just a whole bunch of stuff you're not interested in. And I said, okay, that's cool. I said, well, you know, at least I caught it. My wife wasn't hauling horses or I wasn't hauling furniture. And, you know, the thing all of a sudden goes pigeon-toed on you or something weird. Uh, you turn left and it decides it'll never turn any other direction but left again <laughs> or something like that. And I said, fine. And I said, uh, well, how much is it going to cost to, 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 to fix it? At that point, I dropped my phone and was trying to figure out, how do I give glory to God for that? All right, And I'm sure that many of us in this room have had plans and things that we had thought out, and this is how I'm going to plan it. And something mysteriously jumps up in the middle of our lives and says, really? And how do I do that to the glory of the Lord? Okay? That's what the Apostle Paul is saying in this text. All that you do. Do you understand 1 Corinthians is about your personal holiness and my personal holiness? It's all the book is about. I mean, I've heard all the controversies. That's why uh, we're stacking this thing precept upon precept, line upon line. So that when you see this text and you understand what he's dealing with, there's no controversies in this book. It's a very simple book. Why? He says, I want you to minister in the power and the sufficiency and the glory and exaltation of Lord Jesus Christ. And I want every single Christian to do that. But if your personal holiness hasn't been taken care of, you are absolutely useless. That's how he started this chapter. He says, I don't want you to be like Israel. Israel was freed from a place they had absolutely no ability to be released from. And God said, watch me work. In a very short time, what were they doing? Grumbling and immorality. Uh, they were trying to worship the Lord their God the way they wanted to worship the Lord their God. And all of these other things. And he says that 23,000, Phil, if you really look at it, that whole generation became absolutely useless for God. Then the Apostle Paul says it twice. These were given for your warnings. Who's I? This is a Gentile church. It's not Jews. He's saying the church age that you are now in, don't be like Israel. Don't be like Israel. Uh, it fascinates me. It's perplexing to me at times because God, in His infinite wisdom and His infinite power, said, I will manifest my glory to the bride of Christ. And you just sit there and go, Come on. <laughs> I can think of better ways. <laughs> Surely you could have thought of a better way. Remember, I got hearing a message by a guy out of Dallas. Ramesh Richard is his name. Wondrous man. Uh, way too smart for me. But I'm glad every once in a while he comes down to my level so I can under it, understand him. And he, his message was this. He says, I'm going to make a statement that is asked by every human being on the planet multiple times a day. And I want you to hear my statement. And I said, well, this is interesting. I mean, that's one of them gravity, right? Wow, what's he going to ask? All right, here's his phrase. How are you? And he said, we as pastors, it was a pastor's, that was one of those meetings that I had in, with Olford Ministries in Memphis. Um, he said, how would you do as a shepherd of the king's flock? How would you look at him today and say, how are you? Because if you think about it, the manifestation of Jesus Christ, he is the head. And what is his body? What is his body? The church. So if you were to see the Lord Jesus Christ this very day and you were to ask him, how are you? What do you suppose his response would be? Well, my head is fine. My body is in serious trouble. You know why I know that for sure? I have this letter here to the Corinthians. And this church 
is the body of Jesus Christ. And even this young in the birth of the church, the body was having some problems. Okay? I want you to, I'll remind you guys this again and again and again. There's no theological problems in the church in Corinth. Okay? Well, that would be orthodox theology that they were practicing. Okay? Do you know what the problem was? The influence of the world had taken over the church. Instead of the church influencing the world. See what had happened? Church in Thessalonica, Paul praised them. Why? Because your testimony, your faith, the things that God has done in your lives is known through all of Christendom. Think about that. A church in Thessalonica. Do you understand that that church didn't have uh, a media center? Do you know that they didn't have a, a television broadcast? Did you know that they didn't have uh, a tape ministry? Did you know that I don't know if their pastor had been published? And yet what God had done in the church in Thessalonica was known in Achaia. Okay, that'd be the northern or the southern part of the Greek peninsula. And Macedonia, that's the underbelly of Europe, had already been known. Okay? Not only that, all of Christendom had heard how they had turned from idols to follow the true and living God. Okay? I like that. I, that just, that fires me up. Why? They looked for holiness. They called people to holiness. You know, they had disciplined somebody in their church because they hadn't gotten a job They had literally, Paul said, don't even eat with that person if they're not willing to work. Ah. That's what we're looking at here. This, what we're setting up this day started literally in chapter 8, verse 1. Eating meat offered to idols. Paul says, you know, an idol is nothing. But he says through that text, I have a freedom because I know that nothing is, an idol is nothing. I know that I have this freedom, but if it will cause a younger saint to stumble, I'll never eat meat again. And then he uses chapter 9. He says, I'll use my own life as an illustration. He uses it in there. He says, I had a right As an apostle, I had a right as your father who brought you the gospel to be compensated with money. You should have met my needs. He says, but I did not exercise that right. I had that right. I had that freedom to ask you for money. He says, but I didn't exercise that. Why? I didn't want anybody to stumble. And I'm using it as an illustration to each and every one of you. Grab that and think about it. Because then he moved in to chapter 10, 1 through 3, and he uses Israel as the same illustration. He says Israel was called out. God had done a work in Israel. How great was the work? They wandered for a generation in the desert, and yet the city of Jericho was nervous about the Jews coming. Why? God had just killed them all. They'd all died in the desert. No, Jericho had heard how the greatest army in the world was destroyed because God wanted his people free. And Jericho was the most fortified city in the lower part of of the valley there. And they knew that they were the place to fight. And everybody, the Jews were afraid of Jericho. But Jericho had heard, here is what God has done. I like that because you know what? Too many in our churches today are running around saying, here is what man has done. Some of you, I'll use this illustration. Some of you have heard uh, the the young lady who was taken hostage by the the man who escaped from the the jail in Atlanta. He killed a, a, a... a clerk and all the rest of it, and he had taken this lady hostage. And the news all published it and said that he read a paragraph out of the uh, purpose-driven life, and the man let her go. Okay, Stephen Barber used to be the uh, youth minister in that church that she used to attend. He hasn't been there for a couple of years. And so he was calling her pastor and wanting to know what's going on. And the pastor was a little bit ticked off about it. Okay, Here's the reason. He read a, she read a paragraph out of that book, but she also read the four Gospels, 
the repentant Psalms, the 50 series Psalms, the book of Revelations. Now, let me tell you something. If I had somebody held hostage and they read to me the book of Revelations, I'm going to let you go. <laughs> okay? But see, we won't hear that, will we? Whose wisdom did we hear about? Man's wisdom. But the four Gospels, the book of Revelations, the repentant Psalms, the shepherd Psalms, I forgot those two, the 20 series, how the Lord takes after His children. Why? What would we just do? That's what had happened to church here. They'd buy the philosophy of man. They'd taken what they had learned out here in their societies. You and I struggle with this. And we bring it into the church. We try to blend it together with the supernatural working of God. And we can't understand why sometimes it don't work. Then we moved into verse 23 through 30. And we've seen that we had a wisdom in our freedom. All things are lawful. But sometimes I don't get a benefit out of things. Okay, that'd be that neutral shift. Okay, how many times we as Christians are doing something, we're real busy about it, we're spending a lot of time on it, a lot of energy, a lot of thinking, a lot of attitude, maybe even finances. And yet its benefit is what? Okay, I'm getting ready to paint my house. Okay, those of you who know me well know that I hate painting. (laughs) I just don't like painting. It's a man thing, maybe. I don't know. I just don't like painting. Okay? Part of the reason is, about 10 years ago, I painted it already. <laughs> what do you mean i got to paint it again? Okay? I mean, I put it on thick. It should have been a thick coat of paint. It should have lasted until Jesus came back and burned everything. Okay? That's part of the reason. You know, it's sort of like cutting grass. As a child, I hated cutting grass. I don't know about the rest of you. I just don't like it. Why? It grows back. Okay? You guys, uh, some of you who've been with the church a lot, remember Pastor Al, Al Barrett, or Al Jerome? Sorry, Al. Do you remember Al? Okay? His dad was a flat worker, concrete worker. Al's, he's our, uh, the pastor before me. Love Al. He's in Florida, right there where all them hurricanes went through. I told him he just needed to repent. Um, anyway, his dad was a concrete worker. Okay, and he got tired of landscaping and doing everything in his front yard and all the rest of it. So he dug it all up, and guess what? Concreted it all. And then he went out and painted it green. Why? I think he was smarter than me. I still keep cutting. You know, I've got kids cutting mine now, but uh, do you see what I'm getting at? It's just stuff like that that you do over. The wisdom of my freedom says, and the understanding of that all things are lawful, sometimes it's no benefit. Sometimes it's no benefit. How many of us in the body of Christ today are wasting how much time, how much energy, how much resources on things that have no benefit? Have no benefit. He says this, all things are lawful, but not all things edify. Am I, what am I doing? Will it strengthen? Will it strengthen? Okay. You know, I, I find it fascinating. Uh, used yesterday, we showed up, a bunch of us, to move furniture. How profitable is that? Okay. But do you know what it was cool? It's extraordinarily edifying. You know, it was even weirder than that. There were some lost people there that were kind of in awe that these crazy Christians would be out in a rainstorm. Acting like a bunch of turkeys. You know what I mean by that, right? Turkey ain't got enough sense to get in out of the rain. Okay? So, but do you see that? Why? And it spoke loud to them. Spoke real loud to them. Why? It strengthened. It strengthens the saints. So that's the wisdom of our freedom. But we also seen that we are to seek after our neighbor's good, not necessarily ours. And it went on through. Then we look at the why of our freedom, verses 31 and 32. Whether you eat or drink, the mundane things. Actually, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. You ever thought about that? Well, that text, that first few times I've gone through that, man, that is one of those that just gets you with a knife. Okay? It just, you know, there's times... I don't know, maybe you guys don't struggle with it. There's times that I'm, I'm doing things that I'm thinking, I'm not doing this to the glory of the Lord. I'm just trying to do it to get it done. You ever had that mentality? This has to be done, so I need to get it done. Okay, that ain't to the glory of the Lord. 
Okay. But he gives us this, and this is where I kind of want us to start thinking about it, because I'm looking at the way of our freedom. All right. Because the church is here to show Christ. Did you know that? That's why the church is here. Because I, you know, I, I remember a few years ago getting an argument over it. Why are we still here? Okay, I can do everything better in heaven. I can worship better in heaven. I know I can sing better in heaven. Okay, uh, I don't have to study as hard to know what he's telling me in heaven. Uh, and a few other odds and ends like that. But when I think about it, the church is the manifestation of Christ here in a lost and dying world. We are the light in this darkened world. Okay, do you understand that? When I went to England and Russia, did you know that it wasn't my ministry? It was our ministry. We did that. We are still having an impact there, by the way. Individuals, we show Christian. But the real manifestation is when we have gathered collectively in the unity of love and the unity of His power and the, of the Holy Spirit, and it can only be done in Christ and through Christ. That's the difference. Why? Look at what we're trying to do for unity on the... Just watch CNN. Everybody wants to be unified. We got a, 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 an organization in New York City called it is the United Nations. Have you ever listened to them? What are they united about? Nothing. Everywhere you look, we want unity. And yet... Where is unity in the body of Christ? He's already told us in chapter 1 and chapter 2, I want you guys to think alike. I want you to be alike. I want you to walk alike. I want you to say the same things. Why? Because Christ isn't divided. Christ isn't divided. And yet I can hear pastors on a daily basis say, we don't need theology because theology divides. Really? Really? I got in trouble in our denomination for saying there are not multiple interpretations of Scripture. My denomination. But we're the conservative people. We're the ones that, you know, we didn't, men and women didn't swim together. Them people. And they're mad at me because I said there's not multiple interpretations of Scripture? Hmm. See, when the world sees the church and the power of the church in its true manifestation. It sees supernatural, and the world is moved by it. Now, they may be moved to anger, or they may be moved to repentance. The gathering of the saints is a manifestation of Christ. That's the way of our freedom. The way of our freedom. It is a path of freedom. Uh, the writer of Hebrews says, Don't forsake the assembly together, which is what? Habit of some. People get on me. They say, well, why do you meet on Sunday? I said, because you guys won't meet any other time. Why? When did the church meet in the New Testament? Every day. Days and nights. Whenever they could get the opportunity to draw together, they did and they cherished that privilege. I seen that when I was in Russia. We want to be with the saints. Why? Because I know the alternative. That's my passion. In case you couldn't figure that out. This freedom was getting the best of the Corinthians. Paul made a statement. You've bought and paid for with a price. You're not your own. You were bought out of darkness and you've been put into light. Our freedom has a way about it. Our freedom has a path about it. Our freedom ha is, is seen. And I, I want to share this because the way of our freedom is manifested. It is manifested individually. It is manifested collectively. Uh, when I was in England, I was catching up on some of the BBC stuff that you don't see over here. And, uh, the, and I was really curious about France because France has got some interesting stuff going on there. Um, but anyway, um, I seen this group of Muslim girls in school and they had them scarves. They've been outlawed. Uh, France says we are a secular nation. We do nothing to represent any religious organization. And there were great numbers of these Muslim girls, young girls, 
a freshman high school, you know, freshman, sophomore, who were rebelling against the establishment saying, this is our right as Muslims. You know what was bothersome about the whole interview and all the rest of it? Where are the Christians? Where's the Christians? How many of us will say to our employer, I can't work on Sunday. It's my day to worship. I know many Jews who will not work on Saturdays. I grew up in Ohio, and I remember going into Cleveland a few times. There's a whole section of Cleveland shuts down on Saturday. And you flat out, I don't care what, you can't get gas. You can forget it. Okay, and from what I understand, it's still that way. Why? Who's important to those people's lives? See what I'm saying? You know what's amazing about this? This freedom that we have, we each, each of you who are here, have something or someone that shows that freedom. You manifest it. Did you know that? Did you know that there are people that your life will impact that nobody else can impact. Did you know that? And God says, this is for you to do. I want you to manifest your freedom, but I want you to do it with wisdom. I, I want you to do, I want you to know why you're going to manifest this freedom. And I want you to know the way you're going to manifest this freedom. I love that. You individually have people and circumstances that you can impact eternally because you are now free in Christ. And the world should be able to spot it. When I was in Russia, you could spot Christians across the street, even in Moscow. Moscow is a city of 12 million people. You could spot them because they had a gleam in their, and they had a smile on their face and they were tickled to death to be alive. Everybody else was drunk and smoking cigarettes. Why? They've got no hope. They've got no hope. Here in America, we hide it well. Why? I can carry eyeball deep debt and act like I've got hope. (laughs) You know? Here in America, if it gets bummer, I'll just go out and buy a new car, a new house, a new dress, a new suit, a new Rolex or something. You know, it'd be on credit. That's all right. I feel better. And yet each of us has something or someone that we can show a freedom to that is supernatural. I want to show you something. Let's pick this thing up. I want to move into this because that verse 1 of chapter 11, um, to use the great Hebrewic phrase, freaks me out. (laughs) But here's what he says. I want you to give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. I want you to follow... A model, he says. I want to show you a path I want to give you. But I want to show you the three divisions of humanity. Humanity is divided up into three categories. I mean, I can make it smaller. Paul gives three. I have two. The saints and the ain'ts. Okay? But Paul says there's three divisions in humanity right now. The Jews. The Gentiles. And who? The church. The church. Verse 33, give no offense. Or, all right, he says, give no offense to the three divisions of humanity. Verse 33 starts off with an amazing phrase. What does it say? Just as I. Got that? What did he just say? Here's the path. Here's the model. Here's the way. I don't want you to give offense to the three divisions of humanity just as I give no offense. Okay, just think about that. I thought about that. Wait a minute, man. Why are they always wanting to arrest him and everything? Why were they? Seemed like he must be offending somebody, right? When it came to the gospel, the saving gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul never compromised. Never, ever. Remember in the book of Galatians, he talks about one time that he was up in Syria. Well, you know, not Syria. uh, Turkey, Antioch. All right. And Peter was up there. And Peter was having a blast. Why? They're celebrating Jesus everywhere they went. 
And some Jews from Jerusalem came into town. What did Peter do? Quit associating with the Gentiles. I've seen that. I experienced it. When I was in Israel last year, on the Sabbath, you go walk around in Jerusalem. And let's be realistic. If I'm walking around in Jerusalem, I'm a Gentile. I'm easy to spot out. You don't have to put a sign on me or anything. They all see me. And they say, that's a Gentile. On the Sabbath, if a Jew touches a Gentile, he is defiled. Okay? And so you could walk on the crowded streets of Jerusalem, and it was like parting the river. It was great. I took great joy in going against the flow of humanity. Because I was a Gentile, and they knew if they touched me, they were defiled. And there is that one side of me that says, this is fun. This is something here I want to exercise. All right? Peter did that. What did Paul say? He says, I rebuked him to his face. That sounds offensive, doesn't it? Is it? If you call a person in sin, and you call it a sin, is that offensive? No, I already taught you on liberty and legalism, remember? Okay, if you're going to run into legalists, gee, many crickets, and there's days that you think somebody left the door open and they all came out. Guarantee it. And when you run into them and they say you're doing, what you're doing is offensive to me, your response should be what? You don't offend them. You come alongside them and walk with them to help them grow in their freedom. But what do you do when you run into a legalist? What's your first response? I know what it is. I don't even think you're saved. Right? That's what we do. I don't think you're saved. So I'm going to keep doing it. Okay? What did you just do? Gave offense. See the difference? I hope you see the difference. I shall never, ever compromise the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if my actions offend somebody, I'm very apologetic. Why? And But you know what? If you call me on it, you're stuck with me. All right? Because I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to walk with you. I love it. It's great. Why? Do you know what the Great Commission says? When the legalist comes up and confronts you, you walk with him. Matthew wrote it this way. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them. What does it say? Teaching them what? The things that I have taught you. And in case you're nervous about it, lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. And Jesus, let's be realistic, he had a bumper crop of legalists to deal with, now didn't he? He says, but don't you worry, I've overcome the world. Don't you worry, you walk with me and I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know what, there's times when I keep thinking, Jesus, where in the blue blazes are you? And I always know he's right near. And that's what we're looking at. It's the way. The way of my freedom. He says, look what he says here. In verse 33, just as I also. What does it say next? Who would all men be? The Jews, the Greeks, and the church. Okay, so when I go back to that verse that everybody loves to hear, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, who's your neighbor? According to that verse right there, anybody, it ain't you. All right? And he says, I also what? What does it say? Please. You know how you translate that out of the original language? Please. I am pleasing to these people. That's tough to do, isn't it? All men? You've run into a few, haven't you? I've run into a few that just are tough to please. Just tough to please. 
Why? I want you to look at the next phrase. Because see, now you, you get, if you leave the next part of this verse out, then you get into serious trouble. You end up being a cult someplace. Not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many. Take that back to verse 23. Not all things are what? Guess what? Same word. All right? If it's not profitable, I'm looking for something that will do what? Edify. That will strengthen, will build up, will encourage, will make it better. So when I look at this text and it says, I please all men and all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of who? Of many. Now drop down to the end of verse 1 in chapter 11. You got that? Just as I also am of Christ. Now grab that and think about that for a second. Was Jesus here to please all men? He's going to ask you. What do you suppose? Was he seeking his own profit? Was he seeking the profit of many? And then let me show you a foundational thing to understand profit. So that they may be saved. Okay? When I think about the prophet and I think about pleasing people, I have one qualifier. Why? Jesus only had one qualifier. Okay? Eternal impact. Eternal impact. Am I pleasing people on a temporal basis? Am I pleasing people on a... Eternal basis. See the difference? See the difference? Did Jesus come to please all men on an eternal basis? Absolutely. Absolutely. Listen, if he can hang on the cross and look at the people who put him there and say, do not hold this against them, they don't know what they're doing. He's not there. He didn't come through and pick out enemies and and these are good and these are bad. These are saints. These are ain'ts. That ain't what he did. He said, I am here about my father's work. Okay? Because he knew, hey, listen, all judgment authority has been given unto me. If you really think about what he did, did he do anything to offend anybody? Is there anybody who said, I ain't healing? No. I mean, literally, I've read stuff that says death and disease ceased in Palestine for three years. I mean, he was getting people up from deathbeds in different parts of the country and he wasn't even there. Your faith has saved your daughter. Your faith has saved your servant. Gee, many crickets. He even healed an in-law, a mother-in-law. Grab that. Think about it. Was he here to please? Absolutely. Let me ask you a question. Meeting people on their temporal basis, how successful was he? How many did he win by that ministry? Not very many. Ten lepers. Ten lepers he heals. Do you understand leprosy is worse than AIDS in our society today? Did you know that? You were unclean, you were defiled, nobody wanted to touch you, to be near you. When you were traveling in society and you wanted to make sure you didn't get stoned to death, you must walk through singing, unclean, 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 so nobody would get near you. That was the life you were condemned to as a leper. Jesus healed all ten of them. One thanked Him. How many do you suppose got saved? When it comes to pleasing men, are you looking at the eternal prophet? That's the key to it. That's the key to it. Romans chapter 12 verse 18 says this. Keep this in mind. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Live peaceably with all men. Okay? 
Why? There's a benefit there. There's a profit there. We need to pay attention to it. Verse, if you back up, verse 23, he says, don't offend yourself. Why? Don't do anything that's a waste of time. Don't do anything that does not strengthen. Verse 28 through 29, don't offend the weaker and don't worry about the non-believer if the weaker is offended. If you have to offend, offend the unbeliever. Okay? But if at all possible, don't offend anybody. Alright? But look at what we do in the church today. I would prefer to offend the believer and not the unbeliever. But if you can't avoid it, don't even offend an unbeliever. Don't, don't have any reason to offend. Watch what we're doing in the body of Christ today. Look when a church gets exhibited in national news. Ask yourself a question. Is she being offensive? Absolutely. When the church steps into politics, the church will be offensive. Guaranteed. Well, what about gay marriage? What about... Go down. Let me ask you a question. Do lost people have any other option? Do they? They only can act as their nature. You can't have lost people mandated to live by God's standard. Let me ask you, before you came to salvation, how well did you do living God's standard? I mean, God's word says, there's none who seek after me. No, not one. What would you expect from them? Let me ask you a question. I've heard people talk about divorce and stuff like this too. Well, you know, if Christian is divorced, this, that, and the other, and I hear all of the issues here. You know, are they saved or not saved? They're disobedient or dis- this or that, and they're all the other. Let me ask you a question. What condemns you to hell? Unbelief. Unbelief condemns you to hell. Not your marital status. Why do we struggle with that? I, that just freaks me. I just don't understand that. I just don't get it. Belief sends me to heaven. Unbelief sends me to hell. Please get a hold of that. That is not complicated. That is not complicated. I get people, oh, 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 that one there is the one that gets a little hairs up on the back of my neck. All right, there is time to offend. I try not to offend the saint. If the saint says, this action of yours is offensive to me, then God has brought that saint into my life, and I'm taking that person under my arm, and we're going to walk side by side, and I'm going to be their shadow, and I'm going to show them freedom in Jesus Christ. Okay? And I will wear them out. Guaranteed. Why? It's a gift. That's a privilege. How many of you ever dealt with a legalist? Anybody ever dealt with a legalist? Self-righteous, pharisaical type people? You know what I'm talking about? They're just joy to be with. They make it fun to, to pet a porcupine. Okay? And I struggle with them. Dad, burn, I struggle with them. Most of you know my background, where I came from, and there's time that I'd give anything to go mess with drug dealers and scooter trash. Why? They're easier. <laughs> and God said, no, I want you to mess with the self-righteous. And there was a time where I told him I ain't doing it and you can't make me. And I realized, yeah, you can make me. <laughs> and I said, okay, I'll do it. All right. But you know what I've learned? And it's been difficult. It's a privilege to walk with those people. It's a privilege. Part of the problem is, is in our society today, you walk with them and you continue to pour yourself into them. Eventually, they'll either get so sick of it, they'll run off. Uh, we got 47 or 48 churches in Castle Rock. There's all kinds of places for you to run to. And so they'll just run off somewhere else. Or, you know what? God breaks their heart in such a way that they realize the freedom and the joy that they have in their salvation. They're easy to spot. People who are happy about being saved. In the midst of the greatest darkness, they're still going to be happy about being saved. Okay? I mean, let's be realistic. My wife is an emergency room nurse. Uh, I used to ride ambulance for a while. Um, just some, you see some beer, severe, some weird stuff. And, you know, that's what I tell people. You can come to salvation and to the ministry one way or the other, through my teaching or her ministry, okay? Because her ministry gets undivided attention, okay? But when people are dealing with their mortality, they're looking death face to face, what happens? 
God gets their undivided attention, doesn't He? It's, sort of, it's almost like heaven opening up saying, yeah, I'm talking to you. Isn't that right? If you're walking with that legalist, if you're walking with that other person, maybe they're not saved. Maybe they just got a whole bunch of head knowledge. And they get face to face with that and you've already invested your soul in that person. Guess what? God says, now, guide that soul. Discipleship is a pain. Look at what you got to follow. He says, follow me as I am also Christ. Christ had 12. 12 wondrous men, don't you believe? One betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. The rest just vanished. Well, yeah, one denied him three times. If you read Luke's gospel, you'll see that he was going across Caiaphas's plaza and he denied him the third time when the rooster crowed and it says that Jesus looked at him face to face and they made eye contact. Let me tell you something. You step into this one here, be imitators of me as I am also of Christ, you're going to have a whole bunch of people that will deny you and you will get to make eye contact. And But I rejoice because in the conclusion of the eye contact, you can look at it and say, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? I mean, the apostle Paul here in 2 Corinthians, during one of the worship services, there's a group of people got up. He had returned back to the church in Corinth. A group of people stood up and accused him of selling the law cheap and calling it a message of grace for sexual favors. Okay, a group in the church that he birthed. That he birthed. They stood up. Okay? You know what hurt Paul? No one defended him. No one defended him. And yet he still writes these letters. He still wants to go back there. He's still trying to reach them. He's still trying to talk to them. You know what is amazing? <clears throat> Am I willing to do what it takes to get these people saved? Verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, Be an imitator of me. The word mimic there is the word. Mimic of me. Why? I am also of Christ. Do we understand that? Paul is saying, do it like I did it. I like that. Because I got a little picture here I'll give you quickly on how he did it. Philippians chapter 3 verse 12 beginning there it says, Not that I've already, that I've already attained it or have already become perfect, but I press on. Let me ask you a question. You got to press on? So that I may lay hold of that for which I lay hold of is Christ, by, or is by Christ Jesus. Then he says this, Brethren, do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, there's the key, and reaching forward to what lies ahead. How many of us spend too much time in the back? You ever tried to drive a car looking through your rearview mirror? Huh? If you do, we'll know it. You'll be on the news. Why? How many times can you look at such and such in their past where they hurt you? Where they cause you distress? Huh? They were a pain. This person did this to me. This person did that to me. Let me tell you something. You keep looking backwards and you know where you'll end up? In the ditch. Paul says, I don't ever look backwards. Why? I look forward. You know what the basis for biblical counseling is today? And I can say this with a broad brush, but it's true. Look backwards. See who offended you. See who trained you. See who did this. See who did that to you. Really? You know, I've heard people say, well, if you can't reach them before a certain age, you know, they're useless. Let me tell you something. The first message I ever preached in my life, and i got news for you. Uh, I've burned that tape. Okay? And then and, and, uh, all I knew was I was supposed to have an altar call. And I had no idea how I was going to get an altar call out of this mess. I'd been studying the book of First Peter, and I just preached on First Peter chapter one, verse one, and said, "Ha! Ah, I don't know how to make this thing work." So I asked, if "Anybody wants to come forward to receive Jesus Christ?" This little woman come walking down the aisles. Had been in our church longer than I'd ever even dreamed of. Lillian is her name. She was in her mid eighties at that time, and she says, "Preacher, all of my life I've been in a church. I've never heard it put that way. I need to get saved." 
Lillian, you ran the vacation Bible school. You ran the Sunday school. You did this. You did that. You did. And I just, and you know what? Less than a month later, she went on to glory. You grab that and think about that for a second. Who did it? I didn't have anything to do with it. Why? Quit looking back. Look forward, he says. Holding fast to the word of life, verse 16. And in that day of Christ, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. How many of us are wasting time toiling in vain? How many of us are wasting time not accomplishing anything? For it is God who is at work with you, both to his will and to his good pleasure. All right, because then he says, I want you to do all things without grumbling. You ever done that? Here's the text I want you to think about, though, because he jumps into this, verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus Christ to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned with your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. And you know his proven worth. You know what he said right there? Be an imitator of me as I am of Christ and as Timmy is, Timothy is following me. Philippians chapter 3 verse 17 says this. I want, you, I want to kind of wrap it up with this thought. Okay? Listen, here's the reason I want to wrap this thing up. I want you to think about this. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this. Okay, just write it down and remember it. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we will give an account of what we've done in the body. He's not talking about lost people. He's talking about saved people. We will all give an account for what we've done in the body. Okay? Good or bad. Right? One thing you can do that has eternal ramifications that you will stand and give judgment for. You know what that is? People's souls. Now, let me show you this, this text. This is good stuff. Verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Okay, look what he says next. For many walk of whom I have often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross. Many have taken off and have it start. And what happens? They can't finish. They can't finish. And they fall away. When you find a person who is faithful to the walk, has, has a proven track record, what does the Apostle Paul tell you to do? Follow them. Follow them. Verse 4, or chapter 4, verse 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence and if there's anything worthy of praise, dwell on those things. Remember what he said? Don't look back. Why? When you look back, how many times you look back with joy and happy and rah-rah? Okay? Look forward. Dwell on the things that are good. Then in verse 9, here's where your judgment's going to come in. All right? The things you have learned and received and heard And seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Did you get that? I mean, we're all going to stand before the body of Christ, or for the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. He's going to sit there and judge it. He's going to judge you on whether you've done good or bad in the body of Christ. What will they be based on? What did you teach? What things had you received? What things had you heard? What things were seen in you? Because the people that God gives you in your life will mimic those things. Jesus Christ called us a bunch of sheep. Okay? I know we would like to be lions and tigers and bears. The truth of the matter is, we're all a bunch of sheep. Okay? You know what's bad about sheep? Uh, I had a friend who grew up around them. And he, 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 I don't know, well, we, he kept having us out and we kept terrifying the sheep. You know what amazing about sheep? They're followers. Of everything and anything. They mill around waiting for someone to make a decision. We're going to go over and eat this blade of grass. They'll all follow. 
We're all going to go stand over and drink out of this muddy hole. They'll all go drink out of that muddy hole. Never see anything like it. You, we're all going to go walk over this cliff and they'll all go, okay, let's go. We're going to walk over that cliff too. Okay? I haven't ever seen anything like it. It's amazing. Okay? That's what Jesus said we were. So let me tell you something. This very day, regardless of where you are, you're a follower of somebody or something. Not only that, odds are you have people following you. So let me ask you a question. What actions of ours would keep a Jew from coming to Christ? What actions of ours would keep a Gentile from coming to Christ? What actions of ours would keep a Christian from growing to maturity, being built up and strengthened? That's that text. Okay? Why? Be an imitator of me, Paul says, just as I also am of Christ. Listen, the gospel is offensive. Period. We're not. And we should not be. Please understand that. Okay? I watch these people get on this homosexual thing. Let me tell you say something. People use this verse out of Deuteronomy. Homosexuality is an abomination. You know what? He's contrasting it with another statement. Did you know that in that text? He's saying that as homosexuality is an abomination, so is lying. You got that? Do we ever see people jumping up in Congress saying you're all a bunch of liars and you're an abomination to God? Did you ever see that? No. We will go pick on homosexuals? No. We need, to, we need to preach the gospel. But we need to live the gospel. Why? So we may reach more. We should do nothing to cause an offense. Lost people are lost. How do you expect them to act? You can't walk up to them and say, you know what, I'm pretty sure you're a liar and I think you're going to hell. No, 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 no. You'll have an impact on them, all right? but it won't be for the glory of Jesus. Do you ever think about that? Why? Because we're going to do all for what? Glory of God. Glory of God. I want to close with this text. I might as well because I, I just thought about it. I use this sometimes. One of my favorite verses in, in life is 28.18. All authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. I love that verse. But here, I'll, I'll read you the whole context because this is what you have been charged with. Jesus spoke to them and said, All authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know what? That's your focus in life right there. I like it. Three verses. Why? It's not complicated. Why? We don't handle complicated. I take this letter right here and say, 1 Corinthians is my personal holiness. I line up under that and saying, your ways, your will is what I'm here to do, my Lord. Why? Because I want 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is ministry. Read it. You don't believe me? Read it. As a minister of... Lord Jesus Christ, as a minister of the gospel, as a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ, as a minister of Christ Jesus, as a minister of the gospel, as a minister of this message, as a minister of this privilege, as a minister to the Gentiles. As a, what does he keep saying that to the book? Why? I am a servant here for a mission from my king. That's what you're doing right now. That's why you're here. You came and you set into parts of this part of the book of 1 Corinthians for one reason. God says, I want your personal holiness manifested in such a way that I can through you be glorified and just flat out impact people and positions around you. I like that. I'm into it. Let's pray. Father, I give you the praise for your word. And I give you the praise for this glorious day and the amazing things you're doing. Lord, let us be imitators. Let us mimic Jesus Christ. Father, prune us that we may bear much fruit. Father, prune us that we may walk with one another to equip and encourage. 
Prune us in such a way that you are so manifest in us that people will stand in awe. Father, I think about Thessalonians when you said that when we return with you to judge, people will look on that glory in awe and misunderstanding and, and not, a, not even be able to grasp that. I love that thought. We're all going to come back with you to a new heaven, a new earth, and people are going to look on in wonder. But Father, you've given us now. Let us live and rest there to your praise and to your glory. We love you. May our love for you grow with every breath you grace us until that day that our faith becomes sight. In Christ's name, amen.